0: Thank you for listening to a special episode of the SoFlow Vegans Podcast.
1: Welcome to a special edition of the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. Today, we're putting a spotlight on black excellence within the vegan community. We're spotlighting former guests by sharing their vegan origin stories. These guests include Dominic Thompson, Tori Washington, Karen Calabrese, and the Badass Vegan. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear how you can get involved in season six. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode of the SoFlo Vegans Podcast.
2: What's up everybody, this is John Lewis, AKA Badass Vegan, I am with flow Vegans. Um, I guess you could say I, I did try vegetarian um, for two years prior. Uh, and it was when I first moved to Miami, I was going to grad school. And I, I always said I, I loved animals. And I always said, you know, I, I, was, See, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And then when I finally moved away from, like, that impact of um, home, because everybody knows peer pressure can come from the family uh-huh. sometimes. Like you want to do something, but your family's like, "You gonna go vegetarian? You are gonna die?" Like uh-huh. you know, you just like. So when I got down to Miami, I was eating, you know, Caribbean food, Jamaican food, Dominican food, Cuban food. I had some of everything, and my stomach was like, "Wait, hold on, this ain't this ain't us." Uh-huh. And I went to the doctor at the university, and he was like, "Do you eat a lot of meat?" And of course, you know. We lie sometimes because this is what we used to do. And I'm like, no, no, of course not. Now, granted, I had meat probably on everything, every meal. And if it wasn't meat, it was dairy. And he's like, I want you to try going vegetarian for 30 days. I'm like, no, man, look at me. It's mm-hmm. classic. Like, you see how big I am, man? I need a lot. And he was like, just try for 30 days. I didn't do it immediately when I left out there. I want to say that was October 15th. October 31st, I had a good uh, friend of mine slash fraternity brother back home in St. Louis who passed away from sickle Mm -hmm. cell. And I had already done a little bit of reading and I was like, you know what? This is like an ode to him. I'm going to go ahead and try this for 30 days. I felt like a million bucks. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I was like, damn. And, you know, just just being real, like, I missed, you know, I was a a Philly cheesesteak fan. And I was like, yo, no more Philly cheesesteaks and Mm -hmm. no more this and that. So, I was like, wow, and this is, you know, this is 14 years ago, so or sixteen years ago, I take that back, sixteen years ago. Uh so I was like, man, what am I gonna do? You know, like we had a couple options like Boca, but we don't have what we got now. Like, so I was like, man, what am I gonna do? So um fast forward two years, I was about to graduate from my master's program and I remember getting a call from my brother. He was like, Hey man, we're about to take uh mom to the hospital, we don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, Oh wait, what's going on, man? So I talked to my mom on the phone, she's like, I don't know what's up. And my mom was, like, the happiest person in the world. And this is the one time I ever heard her, like, just totally out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, mom, what's going on? She's like, I don't know, but I feel like shit. Damn. And I, I'm ne- I'm talking about, like, we've been through a lot, and I ain't never seen her like that. So I was like, okay. And I was like, all right. So I, I flew back home, talked to the doctors everything. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, it's colon cancer. I'm like, how has this happened? He's like, well. Too much animal protein, fried fatty foods. I'm like, wait, this is not hereditary? He's like, nah, this is a lifestyle choice. I mean, he's just so frank with it. Yeah. Like,
1: you no,
2: know, this is not, not hereditary. I'm like, oh, wow. So I started doing more research, of course, CDC, World Health Organization, all these, you know, websites that aren't even vegan. And I just start seeing and just connecting the dots. And I'm like, wow, man. I was like, you know what? I'm done with this shit. I was like, I, I'm a big believer in learning from my mistakes, but I'm a bigger believer in learning from somebody else's mistakes. I just incorporated 100% vegan and it wasn't to start a business. It wasn't to, it wasn't even to motivate other people. I was just like, yo, I don't, I don't think this is right. So I stopped. And then that's when more of the aspects of like social justice and animal rights and the world, the ecosystem. That's when everything else came into play. I honestly did it for health reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know some vegans there. They they're all like, "Well, if you don't go for the animals, you'll change back." That's not necessarily true, you know. Like I did it for that, and then it opened me up to a, a wider range of reasons to stay.
1: So, what are some of those reasons that that are not resonate with you in terms of why you're a vegan?
2: Um. Like I said, like social justice, I I believe I believe social justice and veganism go hand in hand. I really do. Like Mm -hmm. if you ever want to give a real big F you to the system, go vegan. Like, Mm -hmm. you you know, we and that goes along with my documentary that I'm doing now, too, is is about social justice slash food justice. And, you know, we find it so funny that so many people are quick to be like, oh, the government, yeah, they'll lock you up for just walking down the street. Oh, yeah. They'll arrest you while you're driving. And. Uh, they'll shoot you or kill you with no probable cause, but for some reason we don't believe they'll do anything to our food, which, you know, which is so interesting to to see. Uh, the more and more as I as I make this documentary, um, and you know, it's like we have documented proof that the government knows that, for instance, dairy. Seventy-five percent of all African Americans are lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. Yet and still, they promote milk and dairy to the african-american community like it's just the best day ever you know what I'm saying mm. and it and the rates are even worse for asians and even worse for native americans so it's like they keep promoting and keep promoting it when it's not for us and they'll tell you in a doctor visit like hey you might want to start giving them formula uh we actually saw an ad um we, we presented in the documentary and it was that mother's breast milk was not sufficient to grow human uh babies it's like wait a minute so you mean to tell me that mother nature got that all messed up (laughs) and they they just messed that all up so so in hindsight what they're saying is well since humans can't supply a sufficient amount you need to buy our formula you know but we we see all these obesity rates and stuff like that and this is not a fat shaming thing it's just there's nothing in the natural dna of a human where obesity is a part of it it's what we put into the body that leads to that and it's just so part of that being a social justice aspect looking into the uh, the eco factor of like, you know, how much water is taken just to make one pound of burger, uh, of beef, um, you know, how much water is taken or how much food itself is taken. And people think, oh man, if we go vegan, then humans will eat all the plants. It's like, no, you don't understand how much plants are giving to these animals to get onto your plate. If you cut out the middle man, now, granted, a lot of that stuff is GMO, and we don't want that either. Mm-hmm. But we could cut all that out and use that land to actually grow crops for human consumption. We could get rid of the the ho- homeless and hungry rate right now if we stop feeding it to all the animals. If we feed it to the humans, which are animals too, don't get me wrong, but if we feed them to the humans, guess what? Boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. And people think that the, you know animals will take over the world if we stop eating them. It's like, no. We we as humans and a couple of other species are the only ones that really do sex for pleasure. Like, we're the ones that are infesting the world. Like, it's seven billion of us, mm-hmm. almost eight now, you know? Probably going on nine in a minute. Um, you know, so like, you, you look at who's infesting the world, it's not the deer that are running through the, you know, I, I saw, uh, I think it was uh, Joey Carbstrong, shout out to him, he did uh, a debate with somebody and he was like, well, these, uh, these deer are, they're invasive into our land. It's like he's like, dude, we're sitting on concrete right now on the <laughs> side. Like it's all green at one point. Who's invasive here? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. and granted, I'm not saying I just want to go live in the woods, but we do have a an aspect that we we like to think that humans don't do anything wrong. And we like to think that the world was made for us. If humans were extinct today, the rest of the animals would throw a party, the pollution would <laughs> The ocean would go back to where it's supposed to be. The 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 population would go back to where it's supposed to be because the one reason, just use a deer as an instance again. The reason why the deer are so out of not I don't even want to say out of control. Why the population is so high is because we killed all the wolves yeah. because the wolves were the ones that all the cows that we were trying to raise for food. Now if you go back to the to the source of it, who did this? Yeah. There's so many aspects in it.
3: Hi, I'm Taryn Calabrese, and I'm with so low Vegans. It, it was really, I did not set out to do this. Uh, as a matter of fact, I started 50 years ago when nobody barely heard the word vegan, and you probably weren't born yet, right, when I, when I started. But um, all the women in my family died overweight and very young. My mom died at 47, my grandmother at 50, and my great-grandmother at 60. I was exceptionally... Uh, sickly as a child i had terrible skin i was constipated all the time and uh i was a hot mess as uh, so many of the people in my family were and somehow oh my mother before she passed away kind of introduced me to carrot juice uh she said my mother was kind of a hippie of her day but you would have called them bohemians and uh she introduced me and I started drinking carrot juice and I started going to the bathroom for the first time in my life. I mean, like regularly. And I thought, wow. So being a slightly obsessive compulsive person, a few glasses, I was going to drink gallons of it. Right? <laughs> so I started drinking all this carrot juice and it was just so delicious. And it, I, you see, this is why I teach what I teach. It's changing that biochemistry internally. You don't always have to come through, it through the brain because I didn't decide to do this. I was a great cook with regular food. And uh, I started just losing my appetite for certain things, you know. Um, So I decided, well, I'll give up red meat and, you know, see where that goes. And I did. And uh, one day I was making chicken soup and uh, put the chicken in the pot and forgot about it. And when I went back to look, the bones were floating over here, the skin was over here. And I went, oh, my God, what have I done? So the point of the story is my humanity was awakened Mm. because we all intuitively feel that way. And my humanity was awakened by putting the live food into my body, the carrot juice on a consistent basis. And it just gradually evolved from that. I didn't read a book one day and say, oh, I'm going to be a raw foodist, you know, or I'm going to be a vegan, uh, which is why... This is the way I teach, too, is organically. It's wonderful. I'm glad all of you people read about you become vegans. But so many of the young warriors today and the kids are back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because it's an idea they get and they just do. It. And I think that's certainly valid also. But uh, when you do it organically, you don't tend to go back again. Do you know mm, what I'm saying? Yeah. cross the bridges that keep you there is what I found. So from my own experience, this is how I teach. You know, I teach for people to do it organically through detox classes. So it was like, all of a sudden, I just couldn't tolerate the the smell or the taste or the look of animal products. I was still wearing fur coats though, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I didn't come to it from that point of view, although I'm a huge animal lover. That wasn't my impotence that put me there. But eventually all of that changed too. So my whole Thing was organically my evolution was organically i didn't read a book one day and say oh my god i think i'm gonna you know give up animals and become plant-based it just the universe the spirit whatever it just did it for me although i will say as a child i never liked meat They uh-huh. used to have to force me to eat it you know i was a finicky eater i i always joke and say i was the first black anorexic because <laughs> like, there's no such thing because i just didn't like food you know and they would force me. So when I came into this world, it was like unbelievable. The, the living, fresh, plant-based food, I really took to it. So I did not set out to do this. And so in the interim of all that, I was a vegetarian for a few years, and then I became a vegan. And then I met Dr. Ann Wigmore, who started the whole raw movement and became her student and friend. And that took me raw, and I've never looked back.
1: We have Animal rights activist, athlete, bodybuilder, and all-around voice for the vegan community, Dominic Thompson on the podcast. Uh, what prompted you? You said you were, uh, you were vegetarian at first. What made you go from, you know, eating, consuming meat products and dairy products, assuming you did that, to becoming vegetarian? What was that initial shift?
4: Yeah, so I, I had an initial uh, light bulb go off in my head when I was eight years old. Uh, I was eating chicken wings. I, I was always, I was always that kid that always questioned everything. Um, and it just, it, out of the blue, I was sitting at uh, the kitchen table. Stayed in a single parent home, one bedroom apartment. Uh, me and my mother and my sisters and. My mom was feeding me chicken wings at the time, and I, I just looked at the chicken wings and looked at my arms, and I just knew. I was just like, he looks like a little bit arms. I don't want it anymore. I was already at that point picking around the cartilage and the bones and the tendons of chicken uh, parts and stuff she was able to serve us. Uh, but back then, uh, the only thing my mom really couldn't afford was uh, chicken uh, wings. She couldn't afford a chicken breast, and it was a different price point in those days. Uh, the kids these days probably wouldn't know that. But back then, chicken wings was more like the scraps of the chicken that were more affordable for uh, low-income families like the one I belong uh, come from. Uh, so it was pork and all of that stuff. Uh, rarely did we have beef because beef was expensive. Um, so, um, and I was never a fan of beef anyway. I just wanted, if I was going to eat meat, I was just like, you know, I don't want to see cartilage. I want to white meat. So I made that connection when I was eight. Uh, my mom ended up compromising and it just feeding me a lot of different fish sticks um, and those type of products where I wasn't able to see any bone structures or anything like that mm. uh, or see the true anatomy of what the meat was attached to, uh, per se. Um, so I made that connection when I was eight. Fast forward, when I was 21, 22, I got indicted for some um, being a part of a former lifestyle, which was I'm a former... D-boy, and I used to uh, do things in the streets with respect to selling drugs, and that caught up to me. And while I was sitting in prison, uh, I was trying to figure out why why this next part in my timeline is happening here at that moment. I felt like it was something bigger going on. Obviously, for every action, there's a consequence. I get it. Um, laws was broken. Uh, but, uh, what, what happened with me was, uh, a very, uh, um, how can I put it? An unusual circumstance of, a uh, of with well, my case specifically, cause it was just, I was basically finishing up college and all any, all my old dirt that I did from the past pretty much caught up with me mm-hmm. in a sense and landed me there. And everything pointed to that childhood memory when I was sitting in my cell having an intimate connection uh, with the universe, trying to figure out what's going on. And everything pointed to that one memory when I was eating chicken wings. And I just made that decision there um, to completely eliminate Meat from my diet. I made that promise to myself and to the universe that I get it. I finally get it that what I needed to do. I just wanted to hit reset, and I did hit reset and no longer uh, decided to be a part of uh, a multi billion dollar industry that's killing over 50 billion animals annually. I also decided not to put that poison and that negative energy in the only body that I have, uh, and I eliminated that too for that reason. And and, and and thirdly, um, I decided that when I was going to leave there, whenever I was going to get out of there, uh, I was never going to uh, be a part of that drug trade anymore, pumping poison into my community. So um, I wanted to run away from doing any harm to any human or any animal as much as possible. So I made that decision right there. I denounced all that negative, uh, act, all that negative stuff I used to do and those evil. Um, deeds that I used to do or be a part of, uh, I denounced it and uh, instantly transformed in and there um, without hesitation. Uh, it only took that one time. I never been in and out of jail. I never been in juvenile situations and stuff like that, but it took that one time for me to sit down and to go do, like I said, do do calendars. And and this was my first weekend and I had calendars ahead of me to go do. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was sitting, in a holding cell and I was going to get out in 24, 48 hours. No, that this was during the time I was serving my sentence. And it took that situation to really bring me closer to reality and to really, for me to find out more about myself and find out more of my calling, which is what I do today. And that was 17 years ago and I never looked back.
1: So when you were serving your sentence, did you <clears throat> make that transition while you were serving your sentence or did this come in Absolutely. afterwards? Absolutely. Wow. When I made a
4: transition, like I said. First week in there, <clears throat> that's when I stopped. I would trade my—I didn't know what was going to happen to my health. Back then, this is 17 years ago, we didn't have social media. We didn't have influencers. We didn't have the uh, the nutritional facts. We didn't have the uh, cow spears and what the hell and stuff like that. We didn't have none of this information. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. All I just know that if it required require harm, <laughs> then no. Nah, I didn't want to be a part of it. And I would trade my— meat protein with my cellies for the carbs. So I ate a lot of simple and complex mm. carbs in there, uh, which was their size Whether it was pasta, potatoes, uh, you name it, uh, whatever their size was, they was going to get my meat protein. We had an agreement. This is here, here. You take my meat protein. That was like, think about it. If you're a, a traditional masculine guy uh, eating on an American Western diet during time, and you know nothing about nutrition, you're like, fuck, dude, yeah. I'll take your chicken, all right. Yeah, I'll take your beef or yeah, I'll take your pork off of my sides. You can have all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can have it. Uh so that was like a, a, a jackpot for them. Uh and I would trade off uh, my meat protein for their for their size and their carbs. And I ate ate that. Um and I didn't know what was gonna happen. Like I said, I didn't I I was ignorant to what would happen to my body, but it transformed uh, within like 30 days. I went from being like a chubby, uh, husky sized 260 pound type of dude, uh, cause I was getting money before I got in there and that, that's just part of that lifestyle. And dropped all the way down to uh, the lowest I ever got in, in, in uh, prison was, I wanna say about.
5: 180
4: oh, uh, in total, so, uh, but it was solid, dude. It was, I was like, I had no fat on me, pretty much, and I was one of the strongest dudes in the system. You're talking about, uh, you're talking about a compound full of about maybe 1500 inmates, 12, 1200 1500 inmates. I was definitely in the top ten. I was squatting over 500 pounds, like it was under four or 500 pounds. I was dead lifting over 500, like it was nothing benching 405. That's four wheels on each side. Um, and, I mean, when I was doing that, um, I was probably about 195, 200 solid just killing it pound, you know, just pl- plowing it out. And people look at me like, that's that dude don't eat meat. Yeah, that's that crazy. That's, that's that weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't explain it. Like, you know, it, like I said, I didn't, honestly, I did not know this was going to happen to my body. But it did. It transformed and it was just amazing. I remember just seeing my body go through this transformation. I was like, "Whoa!" You know, I knew I was gonna lose weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that. I wasn't ignorant to nutrition with respect to that. I knew the I knew the basics of what they teach people and what they traditionally had taught people, if that makes sense. But I didn't know I was gonna lose that much weight, and I also didn't know I was gonna gain that much muscle. Like, you know, it just it just it just reversed: lost fat, gained muscle. You know what I mean?
5: Mm.
4: Went back, went back to, I, I mean, it was the best. My body felt like I was in high school again. It was just an amazing transformation and an amazing experience uh, that to this day, I, I still feel that way. Like, I don't feel my age. I feel like I'm 18, uh, but I'm able to put up grown man numbers, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And did that inspire anybody else to try it out? Or were you an outlier for no, your time? No. I mean,
4: you got to <laughs> yeah, look, when dudes doing time, they're doing time. You know, like they, that might work for you, but that didn't, yeah, they had questions. I mean, they would, you know, uh, try to eat better and stuff like that, but that didn't inspire them because shit, you in there, you got to think about it. When you, look, I didn't do state time, I did Fed time. So when you're in there, mm-hmm. you're, doing, you, you're in there with people from white collar crime to, Drug kingpins, to uh, uh, bank robbers, to soldiers that soldiers that went AWOL. You're in there with a bunch of different type of criminals or people that wrote crimes. Rather. I don't want to say criminals, cause there's some good people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, last thing in your mind is like, what this guy's doing. You know, no one cares about that. Everybody's just trying to get the fuck home. You know what I'm saying? Everybody trying to get home and do their time. And yeah, that might work for that person, but. They wasn't really interested in it like that. I mean, they was fascinated. They was like, wow, you know what I mean? But far as like them adopting it, you know what I mean? Like completely. No, not completely.
0: This is Tori Washington, and I'm here with Soul Flow Vegans flowing like a river.
1: Um, give us a little bit about a little bit about your background into being part of the vegan community.
0: So <clears throat> Very interesting story. you know it's interesting that you asked me that question because I was talking to one of my clients today, and we were discussing you know things about my background and my history, because a lot of times I held back on things just to kind of keep giving people a little bit here and a little bit there, because my background is can be almost considered radical, mm. where people would look at it like, ooh." I did not know that about Tori. That's very interesting. So I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. And Seventh-day Adventist is a religious belief where we, they practice worship on Saturdays. And Saturday is the Sabbath. It starts from Friday at 6 p.m. or whenever the sun sets mm-hmm. to sunset Saturday night. And during this time, you're not supposed to work. You're only supposed to worship, go to church, you know, and typically, the mainstay of the nutrition intake for Seventh-day Adventists is supposedly vegetarian, mm. based on the biblical beliefs in the Bible, if you believe in that. So this, all saying, all that to say, my mother raised us strictly with that vegetarian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so that led me down to this path of the label now we know as known as vegan. Because I took from from that point when I moved from Alabama to Jamaica, and you know, I learned a little bit more about the Rastafarian culture, and then I moved back to South Florida even more so because a lot of my bridge and a lot of my friends were Jamaican, and we started hanging together in high school and we started to grow our locks
5: mm.
0: more so for fashion because you know, we just want to be. In the now, you know, the fashion was to grow little locks on the top, have like a blowout of locks on the top and shaved around the sides. But we started reading more, reading more into Rastafari. And and one of our friends, his dad was a Rasta. He didn't have his locks anymore, but he was working within corporate America. So at that time, to have locks in certain countries was considered very evil. Mm. You know, it was to the point where they would shoot you on sight just because Rasta was considered... The, the The type of person that will go against modern man, you know because rasta's whole history was not to be oppressed, we're lions we don't bow down to nobody mm-hmm. like just because you say professionalism is clean cut, no hair da 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 whose definition of professionalism is it you know you, you've come up with your own definition, we don't agree with that
5: mm-hmm.
0: so Understanding that whole history, studying it, and seeing that Rasta lived more of an ital lifestyle, you know ital is natural, mm-hmm. meaning ital is vital we live we eat from the earth, especially from the the Bobo shanti rasta that lived in the in the bushes in Jamaica. but a lot of what I started to find out is although you have the differences with certain rastas, but you had some rastas who still ate fish, still ate chicken and even though they still consider themselves Rasta, they're still Hale Impra, Selassiei, and you know, Marcus Garvey and mm-hmm. all them things. But I didn't want to, when I really found out that what I thought truly was, to see that Rastas weren't actually following that mm-hmm. made me feel more of a hypocrite to actually call myself a Rasta, but still, you know, partake in items that may contain eggs in it or butter or what have you. Mm-hmm. There's still some, type, some form of not eating from the earth. And so in 1998, I decided to say, you know what? I'm just going to cut all of that out. And now at that time, I didn't know what this vegan thing was. Even though vegan had been around since the 70s -hmm. or even probably earlier than that, in this country, in this day and age, everything has a label. And so in order for you to be lumped into a group, we have to label it. So that way we can understand it more by giving you a label and then put a definition to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that's a Asinine way to do things To always put a definition to a group of people So that you can separate them from everyone else When in this time we should be wanting to come together Yeah So i never forget the first time I really truly got tested for being vegan I was in Atlanta At a veg fest And I was standing at a food truck About to get some food It's cold You know, this is Georgia Alabama is north. It was in September, November, November timing. Mm. You know, so it's cold. It can snow there. It can get ice in Georgia. So I had on my Tim's, nice jacket, mm-hmm. whatever. And this lady next standing next to me in line says, are your shoes vegan? Mm-hmm. And I was so confused. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to eat my shoes.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that's to me, I was like, what? Are my shoes vegan? I'm not eating them. Because to me, I looked at vegan or that lifestyle as what you took in mm-hmm. what you consumed for your bodily performance, so from that point on, I was just it was just a learning process for me, learning more about the lifestyle, understanding it, and taking out the parts that I didn't really agree with, which was people considering it a diet,
5: mm-hmm. you know
0: hey man what what's your diet because to me, I look at diet as even if you just break down a word and say it in its way it is the D I E T, it sounds like you're saying I'm ready to die. Mm. So but die yet? I'm not ready to die yet. Mm. I'm ready to just continue to thrive and live. You know okay. what I mean? So that's where I became part of the vegan movement, but my I guess exposure came mm-hmm. when I started to compete. Because I had always been into bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And that came up because the whole transition from Florida, from Alabama to Jamaica. Now, mind you, I'm a country person. I say country because I'm coming from Alabama, so the accent is real country. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time. I'm young. I moved to Jamaica. I go to school in Jamaica. What are the kids going to do?
5: <laughs> they're
0: going to pick on you yeah. because they're thinking, why does he sound like that? What's wrong with him? And so me and my brother got picked on pretty often. Mm -hmm. And we internalized it because there was no way to externally release that frustration. Mm -hmm. So I internalized this anger and actually it made me quite angry. And I remember a lot of times breaking pencils, putting my head under my desk, doing things outside of school just to kind of release that frustration. And I think that's what took me into lifting weights. I started Mm -hmm. doing push-ups and doing different things in my grandfather's backyard because I wanted to look like Wolverine and Superman in a sense and have that strength and that power if you think about it look at the two Superman is just very powerful Mm -hmm. very strong but his personality is one of calm Mm -hmm. whereas Wolverine is fluffed, flip opposite so I'm kind of both of them in a sense because I looked at Wolverine that don't make me mad I will like there's been times where I had to just stop myself because I know if I continued on with something out of anger Mm -hmm. I would black out And I don't know what would happen to that person or that individual that caused that anger. So the bodybuilding came up and I started to really get into lifting. And I moved to, when we moved back to South Florida, I remember my mother bought me a bench and a dumbbell
5: Mm -hmm.
0: and I started to work out with that. And I started working with a friend in middle school and then he decided to truly take it on to that level of competing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, but I was thinking, we're, we're like 16 we're competing. What are you talking about? I didn't realize that, you know, there's teen competitions. And to this day, I don't know whatever happened to Richard Tarico. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I don't even know if he still competes or what he's doing. But that change moved me into, you know, I, once I started to, I kept working out in high school reading magazines, studying about bodybuilding, how it worked, and how to build your physique. And what made me learn how to build that physique was I started watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Mm. Got into Commando and The Predator and saw that how he built his physique was off of bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. So I started reading more of his stuff. And honestly, I was reading this stuff and not really saying, okay, I need to eat this amount of protein. It was just kind of like, just eat, what you need to do in order to build build muscle. Because, you know, it wasn't so scientifically focused back then.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And graduated high school, still working out, went to college, working out. And about 2008, one of my friends from South Florida, we were talking and he contacted me and he said, hey, one of our boys is, he's competing now. And I was truly surprised. This mm-hmm. surprised me because I never thought he would actually compete.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: So he ended up Moving to Atlanta, and he had a competition in Atlanta, and I was in Alabama, so it was about an hour and a half drive. Mm-hmm. I decided to attend his competition. And Sean, seeing him on stage, and then he won a pro card that day after he had been competing for a long time. Mm-hmm. He got off stage, and I saw his body, dude. Like I was in the, we were all in his room. He was, he took a shower, he came out. I said, "Damn, <laughs> he looks like a superhero." chiseled abs everything was in you know in place and i said okay i want to compete wow that moment gave me that decision to say you know what i just want to compete i want i don't want to end my life saying i wish i had done it mm-hmm. because i think so many of us do things we don't do things in life and by the end of it we say man i wish i did this mm-hmm. Oh i wish i had done that i don't want i didn't want to end my life saying i wish i had mm-hmm. and so i said to him I want to compete. And he said to me, you're vegan. I said, and? I didn't think it mattered because I thought I looked amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I had muscle on me. I looked good for a, a guy that's, you know, just in the gym. Now I didn't know the whole, what it took in order to get on stage. That's why I asked him, mm-hmm. you know, to help me. He said, "Um, well, this is what you're going to do. Tell me what you're eating. And when he saw what I was eating and how I looked, he mm-hmm. was Actually quite surprised because he said, how are you so lean, but eating that?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it was still, you know, being a college student, just bachelor in, in the workforce, you, you're pretty much just getting stuff you can warm up. So I was getting vegan deli slices, vegan burritos, you know, eating tofu in a skillet, you know, doing things like that. Just simple stuff just to kind of fill my stomach. And so I can go work out, drink. More. I wasn't drinking enough water. I was drinking water, but not that much. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really, I never drank anything else. I wasn't into drinking sodas, juices and stuff of that nature. So once I did my first show, Sean, Spotlight in 2009, in five, four, I got third place. Three, mm-hmm. two, to me, that one. wasn't a Because I was on stage with about nine guys. And I said, damn. Okay. This vegan just got third place out of all of these people. That was your first time? First time. Wow. And I asked the judges, I said, okay, how come I didn't get, like, second? Because I, I, the, when the first place guy walked into the bathroom, Sean, mm-hmm. we all knew he was first place. Mm-hmm. He walked in and we were like, is he going to be in my class? <laughs> I, I hope not. He looks taller than me because, you know, it was based mm-hmm. off height. And so I was thinking he wasn't going to be in my class, but he ended up in my class. Mm-hmm. And he ended up winning that division, that class, that day. But the second place guy, I was kind of concerned and I talked to the judge and the judge told me because I wasn't flexing my legs long enough, mm-hmm. like my conditioning wasn't there. Conditioning is how you look and also you're conditioning with how long you can hold something
5: mm-hmm.
0: for a certain amount of time do not the same thing. So I had how to hold that pose. So I had to learn how to hold my poses for longer because the judges are constantly looking at everybody. And so if they look at someone, they look good for a second and they come back to you and you're not, they Mm -hmm. like think, oh, damn. Because I just, I could have just relaxed too much. And that's what he told me. He told me I wasn't standing on my legs, meaning I wasn't flexing my legs long enough to Mm -hmm. showcase that I did look better. And I learned from that day, oh, I'm going to pose my ass off and I'll be ready for the next time. And so that next time around, it was a different show. Six months later, But similar judges, I ended up winning my class, more guys, and I ended up winning the entire competition because the entire competition won by the overall. Mm -hmm. The guy had to go up against, the guy of each class goes up against each other, Mm -hmm. and that person is the overall winner that wins out of all of those guys, and that was me. Oh, wow. And I got my first pro card that day, and I was like, okay, I think I found out what I like doing. And all because I saw someone else do it, Mm -hmm. and I said, I didn't want to end my life with, I wish I had.
1: We would like to thank Karen Calabrese, Tori Washington, Dominic Thompson, and badass vegan John Lewis for being guests on our show. Be sure to visit SoFloVegans.com podcast for more information about this episode and our entire catalog. While you're there, explore all of the other content Find new and happening events around South Florida and check out our growing directory of vegan resources. With season six just around the corner, we're looking at new ways to make our podcast interactive. This is why we're going to be answering your questions at the end of each podcast. The goal is to provide a dose of vegan education with each episode. So go to sofloveganscom community to see how you can start asking questions. So from all of us here at the SoFlow Vegans Podcast, we'll see you in season six.